Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brad. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, final show we got of the week. Finish strong. And we have got some interesting news around the SEC. Some more coach comments. Got Zach Arnett. He's not been on the job very long there at Mississippi State, but he's doing a hell of a job early. Hugh Freeze. So we got the two new coaches in the SEC. Arkansas, we got some assistants speaking. Kentucky, we got some players and some news. So let's just jump right into it, starting with, um, you know, potentially huge news out of the SEC because it appears for about the third time now, Alabama has zeroed in on an offensive coordinator as I'm recording this. Not yet official, but uh, the target now is Notre Dame offensive coordinator Tommy Reese. According to uh, ESPN's Chris Lowe, and the, apparently an Alabama jet flew up there to Notre Dame and brought back Tommy Reese. So this thing's got to be pretty serious. And if I'm an Alabama fan, I'm probably nervous. If I'm a, a fan of another SEC program, I'm probably thrilled with this development. I just don't know. I don't, what does this say about Nick Saban's program that this is as far down the list as he has to go? Before I bury the guy, I mean, we should note Brian Kelly. This is a Brian Kelly hire. I believe he played for Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly tried to get him to come down to LSU. So Nick Saban's trying to catch up to Brian Kelly. That's pretty interesting, but uh, I kid. But clearly, you know, some of the elite in the game, Nick Saban, Brian Kelly, not ready to throw Marcus Freeman in that category just yet, but It felt like a coup at the time when they got him to stay at Notre Dame, not go to LSU. But why am I saying this is potentially a bad hire? I mean, just look at some of these numbers. And again, these are unbiased analytics numbers. Our buddy Adam McClintock, the CFB professor, the one I keep noting here for this play caller rankings, adjusted for talent, Tommy Reese was the number 68 best offensive play caller in the country last season at Notre Dame. Dave Bartu, friend of the show, CFB Matrix, must follow. He had Notre Dame as uh, the number 50 scoring efficiency offense in the country last season. And finally, Football Outsiders, they rated Notre Dame's offensive scoring efficiency at number 39. So these are not elite numbers by any measure. Doesn't mean Tommy Reese will be horrible because – What do I also say all the time? The players matter more than the coaches. Alabama's always going to have elite talent as long as Nick Saban's down there running the program. So I'm not sitting here saying Alabama's going to be in the 50s in the offensive scoring and efficiency and all that because the players will elevate it. But what I am saying is you're not getting an elite play caller on the side of the ball that is not Nick Saban's specialty So when you face LSU, when you face Tennessee, when you face a Georgia, if you make it to the college football playoff, the elite teams you're going to be facing there, you will probably be at a disadvantage when it comes to your offensive play caller in these tight ballgames. And that is when these coaches make a difference. So, again, it's not official. He's not the hire, but... 
How much further can we get down the list? If we can't get Tommy Reese, who I believe is 30 years old, I think he's been an offensive coordinator for a couple of seasons here. If Nick Saban cannot get this guy to be his offensive coordinator, I mean, does nobody want to work for Nick Saban? The greatest dynasty of all time? I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out soon enough. And last uh, little news item here before we get to the coach clips. Great news for Texas A&M because Anaya Smith has announced he's back for another season. Anaya Smith for his career at A&M, 127 catches, 1,612 receiving yards, 17 touchdowns through the air, another 384 rushing yards and four touchdowns. And this was a situation to monitor, a pretty unique situation. We've already passed the NFL deadline, but that is for underclassmen to declare for the draft. Anaya Smith was a senior last year. So it was kind of up in the air. Will he come back? Will he go out of the NFL? And how can he even do this? Well, he only played four games last year before he suffered a season-ending injury. I believe it was in the Arkansas game. So he's got the ability to redshirt. And then he's even got the COVID year. So he has potentially got two more seasons of eligibility remaining. And it was around this time last year where he decided to come back to school. So I find it hard to believe he'll come back for two seasons. But Texas A&M needing a big bounce back. The offseason momentum continues with Connor Wigman. You landed uh, many regard as the number one running back in the country, Ruben Owens. Now you've got Anaya Smith coming back to anchor a Texas A&M offense that has plenty of weapons to work with for Bobby Petrino to get his hands on and, and see what he can make out of this offense. So keep an eye, Texas A&M, the offseason of hype is back, baby. And we're back all board with Anaya Smith. So hopefully he makes it down to uh, media days this year. <laughs> Let's kick it all down to Mississippi State where Zach Arnett met with the media here, wrapping up the Bulldogs signing day. And big day for the Bulldogs. I mean, they signed a top 25 recruiting class which is not always a given in that program's history. They're on much better footing in recent history. Of course, they've got the longest active bowl streak in program history. But to sign a top 25 class after a coaching change at the recruiting deadline, I think that's huge for Zach Arnett. And they landed Jonathan Davis, defensive lineman, the top in-state defensive lineman from the state of Mississippi over Ole Miss, so anytime you can beat Ole Miss on the recruiting trails, a Mississippi State fan, you got to be thrilled. Jonathan Davis, six foot five, three hundred five pounds, a top five hundred fifty overall prospect in the country. And as Zach Arnett puts it, "This is D line, you baby. This we should be landing guys like this. I think that's the message you got to sell." I didn't realize that uh, on his coaching staff, he's got over a hundred years of SEC experience on his staff, according to Zach Arnett. So, again, it's very early. Can't really judge the guy until he starts coaching in actual games other than bowl games. He did win the bowl game. Let's give him credit for that under tough circumstances. But they're killing it in recruiting. Love what he's doing with his coaching staff. Let's kick it over to Zach Arnett, who day one, he said he was going to make recruiting in the 
surrounding area, a priority. He talks about landing Jonathan Davis, and I thought this was fantastic. He was asked about uh, a defensive back. They signed Will James from Alabama, and he kind of goes into some of the background on on how that occurred and gives some insight into how his program is going to be handling recruiting. Check it out right here. Obviously, Jonathan Davis was a guy that came on the scene late, uh, a guy that had a rapid recruiting process over the past week or so. Uh, just, just kind of take us through that process with him and uh, what you think about him on the defensive line. Yeah, obviously, incredibly excited to add him to the to the family today. Uh, as you mentioned, right, his, his stock has skyrocketed in the last couple weeks on the recruiting trail. Uh, obviously, some – again, I think I said this maybe in other ones – People would say, man, you guys beat some big-time programs out for, for Jonathan Davis. Well, the way I look at it, we're, we're a big-time program too, specifically when you're talking about that position. right? This is D-line U. Obviously, it's uh, really nice to recruit a uh, young defensive lineman and talk about how you're going to develop him when you got David Turner leading that room. Recruited, developed Chris Jones, Fletcher Cox, a whole host of other names in there, but obviously two guys right there who are – probably two most dominant defensive tackles in the NFL. And we're going to get to see them in the Super Bowl. And uh, <clears throat> I do. I take great pride in this, actually. Tony Hughes, right, who we all know for his recruiting prowess in the state. And I don't think there's anyone who champions Mississippi high school football players more than him. He actually took me uh, to Lawrence County High School. Okay. I think it's Monday, December – 14, something like right? I actually have a picture. It helped us in recruiting Jonathan. But, right, obviously, uh, we all know the tragedy that happened right before National Signing Day. But, right, Tony Hughes took me by there. He said, hey, coach, you know that you always talk about there's always going to be a guy kind of flying under the radar in the state of Mississippi. But he's a he's an SEC football player and may, may end up being a future Sunday player. Well, we, we need to go check this kid out. And we were down there. Right. We went and saw him in person, and then obviously uh, the tragic event with Coach Leach happened. It obviously turned things upside down, but I can tell you we were we evaluated him beforehand. We recruited him beforehand, and I think that went a long way in, in signing him today is because when a lot, a lot of other schools kind of come late to the party and want to hop in and try to try to get a steal from the state of Mississippi, we were, we were there first recruiting him from the very beginning. And uh, – very proud we've added him to the family and obviously incredibly appreciative of him and his family for sticking with us. What do you like about Will James? Why did he why did he make a good bulldog and kind of take us maybe through that recruiting process a little? Yeah, obviously uh, he's an instinctual player. Uh, he does some things naturally that you don't have to coach, which is always always nice. Uh, he's got good speed. You see it flash on his on his film, right? He, he got ball skills to go make plays on the ball in the air. But simply put, I think probably the, the thing to speak – that worked out in his advantage the best is what I think I've been trying to hammer home in terms of who our staff is. And I think you'll probably see some names leak out in the next couple of days of new hires coming to staff and off the field support roles. But I want to be the most connected staff to our recruiting footprint of any school who recruits that footprint. Okay. And so I keep highlighting and mentioning the years of experience in the SEC, recruiting Mississippi, obviously the next two states, Louisiana, Alabama, right, Tennessee, those surrounding states. 
we need to work harder in those states and develop deeper relationships with the coaches than any other staff. And in regards to Will, right, any coach we reached out to, high school coaches in the area down there in Mobile, Mississippi coaches who saw him in, in Miss Al All-Star Game practices, right, former college coaches who, you know, in Alabama who still stay up with the the local football scene and watch games. We could not find a guy that had a negative thing to say about him. Everyone we talked to said, man, this guy's an SEC football player. You know, he had an injury during his senior year that caused him to miss some significant time there in the main middle part of stretch of the season. We could not find a coach who would tell us, yeah, you might want to look at this though first. Consider this. You might have, I mean, every guy we spoke to, right, said, Coach, this guy's a steal, man. You gotta you gotta get on this guy. And if we're going to develop those relationships with all the coaches, spend more time evaluating the kids in the footprint and leaning on the local high school coaches, junior college coaches, former coaches who have relationships and know that area so well, then we're we're also gonna trust their input when it comes down to um, getting in on a kid kind of late in the process and and going with them because those guys have seen a whole lot of football. They've seen a whole lot of SEC football players come through their communities, their school, that area, and and they know what they look like. And obviously, he's one of them. If you're a Mississippi State fan, you gotta love this message you're getting from Zach Arnett, who again he's the youngest coach in the SEC by a wide margin. I think he's maybe the youngest coach at the Power Five level. Sounds pretty wise beyond his years. And, again, he surrounded himself with SEC veterans. Got to love that. He's saying all the right things. They're doing all the right things, even though it's early to really judge them. But knocking it out of the park. Now, the big question mark for Mississippi State moving forward, what will this offense look like? Obviously hired offensive coordinator Kevin Barbe from Appalachian State. Gets into what went into that. And wisely notes, hey, we'd be a damn fools to completely blow up this offense given that uh, the architect of the air raid, who that system is filtered down to the NFL, to the high school, all over college football, his principles remain in place with a quarterback that has multiple years starting in the SEC playing in it and set every school record with him. Again, he's another guy that's got two years of eligibility in Will Rogers. They'd be a damn fools to completely reinvent what they're doing on that side of the ball. Let's kick it over once again to Zach Arnett. What did you uh, think of Kevin Barbe and what made you want to bring him on staff? And uh, what do you think he'll do for this team? Yeah, obviously we've we vetted a lot of, a lot of uh, coaches, really good coaches for the office coordinator position. And I think the one thing that I've told this before, but it stood out with me because uh, I identified with it is probably the first question we asked any potential candidate was, all right, tell me, tell me what is your offensive identity? Who do you want to be schematically, personnel? And simply put, he said, well, show me who our best 11 players are, then I can tell you better. Right? Because ultimately the, the, the job of a coach is to identify who your best players are, who your most explosive players are, and then put them in a position to maximize their skill set and maximize their ability to be successful. And so to talk to a to talk to a candidate who right has a small enough ego or willing to put that aside to go, 
it has nothing to do with me, really. It's really our job is to identify the best players and then build the scheme, build our identity around them. That's incredibly refreshing because I, I happen to believe that that's, that's our philosophy on defense, too. Right? Everyone talks 3-3-5 three, three, and what we do. We try to figure out who our best 11 players are, and then we try to start building the defense around what those guys do best. Coach, it would have been an easy transition to kind of just stick with what you had on offense and just kind of continue to move forward there, but you, did, you didn't do that. Kind of what was your thought process behind kind of retooling the offense? Yeah, first and foremost, I think it's, uh, it's a little bit foolish to say that what we're going to and what, what we were is a, is a drastic change. Or, right? Let's talk about Mike Leach's influence on the game of football, okay? You cannot watch a passing attack on Saturdays or Sundays that is not heavily influenced, the concepts being run, that is not heavily influenced by the air raid. So, for instance, right, in the air raid world, it's called 95. You might hear it called White Cross and other trees. Uh, some pro it's called Oppo. Uh, I, there's a few other names for it. But, right, what Coach Leach built in the past game, those are universal concepts that are now, have now taken over the passing tax of all, of all of both college and NFL football. Okay? So certainly what we do conceptually in the past game is going to heavily mirror and reflect what we have done for the last three years. Okay? Obviously, you have a, you have a three-year returning starting quarterback. Right? A proven winner who has led the league in passing the last couple of years. Well, we would be pretty oh, stupid, for lack of a better word, to go, okay, you know what? We're going to completely change our pass concepts and the way he reads progressions and delivers the football. Of course, that's going to be a, a very big part of what we do. Right? I think we have some really explosive football players on the offensive side of the ball who we can, we can identify ways to get them the ball and let them do what they do in a myriad of other ways. Obviously, Woody Marks is a, is a heck of a tailback, right? And this last year, when we had a run game that was getting downhill on people and making them pay for playing light boxes, we all saw what, what he was capable of doing. Simeon Price jumped out in that bowl game too, right? So we have talented, capable running backs here who I think are really excited for the, the different run schemes we're going to be able to implement with our offense and – uh, add to the package okay as you do that you immediately then create play action opportunities uh, looking into the stats and the analytics and right you guys know those but will rogers was one of the most accurate passers pushing the ball down the field on on throws at tw of 20 yards or more right meaning when he did throw the ball down the field 20 yards or more he was one of the more it ended up in completions right he's one of the more accurate passers well if you have the ability to put a tight end or multiple personnel groupings on the field, right, force defenses to play in heavier personnel or tighter to the box because you can run the football, and then you open up, right, either one-on-one -on -one matchups outside where we have some proven uh, receiver production coming back, or you have the ability to play action pass and throw the ball over their head, you create you create a lot of issues for a defense, right? So uh, I think that is what we're what we're working towards with Coach Barbet. Again, I'm going to keep repeating. At the end of the day, we're going to figure out who our best players are. If, if it's best for us to be in 10 personnel and throw it around every play right, to, to win a football game, well, then that's what we're going to do. We're, we're here to win games. right? But I'm confident 
you're going to see some new some new schemes in the run game and perimeter screens and other things we can do to get the ball to our most explosive players, get the get them the, the ball in space and let them do what they do. I sure I sure know Tula Griffin's proven to be a really good one on kick returns, right? So if we can get him the ball the ball in his hands out there in space and let him do what he does, uh, he's proven to be really good at that. And there's something to be said there for Kevin Barbet willing to be able to adapt to his personnel because far too often these coaches, they try to fit the square peg into a round hole, so to speak. So these are nice things to hear. We got to see it play out on the field. But I don't know how you can be anything other than enthused when you hear these comments from Zach Arnett, your new Mississippi State head coach. Well, speaking of a new head coach, let's kick it all down to Auburn, where Hugh Freeze met with the media here on Thursday. And, you know, he's given up his play-calling duties to Philip Montgomery, kind of, sort of. It sounds like Hugh will still retain some of that. He does a great job in the red zone, third downs, things like that. I would imagine he'll still be um, in on a lot of these calls. But as we've seen, as we've noted with guys like Eli Drinkwitz, Jimbo Fisher, you could really, in, in today's modern college football, there's just so many things a head coach has got to do. You got to recruit your own roster. You got to recruit high school athletes. You got to meet with all these boosters. There's just so many issues that can come up during a game week. If you're compounding that with having to call your own plays, it could really come back to bite you. And this is kind of interesting because Hugh Freeze has called plays everywhere he's been. Now he's given it up at least to a degree. We'll, we'll see in the fall how much of a degree he's given it up to Philip Montgomery, the, the former Tulsa coach who had some pretty historic offenses at, at Baylor as well. Let's kick it over to Hugh Freeze on how that'll play out and um, what he liked about Ron Roberts, another former Baylor coach here, going to be the defensive coordinator, of course, down there at Auburn. It's just... Look, what is best for whatever program you're leading? And um, there's so many dynamics to running a, a program at this level today that are maybe a little bit new and different. And I'm, I'm very convinced that the uh, culture in the locker room um, for teams that have talent will, if the culture is right, it's going to pay great dividends. And I think there's an enormous amount of time that um, I can put into that to help us. Um, it's like I've told everyone in, in the room with Philip and, and uh, Kent and the other guys that have helped me in the past, um, I'm still going to call uh, a share of them, depending on what that looks like, probably more in the warp tempo world. Um, we really don't know exactly what it looks like, but I know that I have great confidence in uh, Philip as a play caller, and I have great confidence in he and Kent and Jake and Ben and um, Cadillac and Marcus and, and those guys that we brought to help formulate a game plan should I need to be elsewhere, making sure that our program is right. So it's really just a the, the total landscape of college football and, and running a program is 
if I really do what I've done in the past and spend all of my time uh, game planning, preparing to call a game only, I'm not sure that's best for Auburn. When you got hired, you were talking about you wanted your defensive coordinator to be masterful with the X's and O's. What stood out to you the most about Ron Roberts from that perspective of, of kind of his coaching career? Yeah, I, th I think Ron is as brilliant of a of a defensive mind as there is out there. And if you look at all the the really good ones that have come from his tree that learned from him, that speaks probably as much as anything to me. And then you just watch the success he had, whether it was at at uh, you know Louisiana or Delta State or and, and at Baylor also. Um, really, some of the stuff he did in the uh, Sugar Bowl a couple years back um, stopped a very explosive offense in Ole Miss. Uh, and doing some really neat things in coverage. Um, just, you know, obviously it was, I, I've known of him and I've known the people that he, uh, that have tutored under him and how well they've done. And then you sit and visit with him and hear his ideas and how he can be multiple and believes in being hard-nosed, tough. I think that's what we need in this league. And maybe the two most important things that uh, Hugh Freeze had to say here on Thursday when he met with the media, it's weird to see Auburn not being a contender in the SEC West like they, you know, they were not, they were a complete non-factor last year. We don't have to rehash all that, but Auburn sells itself when you got a capable coach in there, someone that, uh, you know, was driven on the recruiting trail and wants to be competitive to the level of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. You got all the tools at your disposal to be on their level. Hugh Freeze talked to, talks up Auburn and the power of that institution, as well as uh, you know the the big question mark everybody's got right now with Auburn heading into spring. What's his quarterback room look like? They went after several quarterbacks, including Devin Leary, who we're going to get to him in just a second here, but uh, failed to pick one up for. Various reasons. I think academics had a lot to do with it and other unknown reasons. But whatever the reasons were, Auburn went shopping for a quarterback, so to speak. Did not come – didn't come up with one other than uh, a high school quarterback here, I believe. So, Hugh Freeze talks about Auburn's plan for quarterback in the second portal window. Let's kick it over to him. Were you surprised at all by this? Um, the one thing I knew about Auburn is I felt like Auburn sells itself pretty well. If it has a, someone that's leading uh, with a vision that people can see and buy in, and I do think I have a gift to be able to say, man, look, here's, here's what my vision is for you individually and for, for us collectively as, a, as the Auburn football family. And our administration has the same vision. We're in line on that, and that's to, to be one of the most – competitive programs in this conference and an elite program nationally. And, you know, they come and if you can get them to campus to come and see, I think they will sense uh, an energy and a, and a feel about this place that, um, that is attractive to a lot of players. And so um, was I, and, and then, you know, we've been, uh, we've been supported very well by, by everyone on this campus to try to help sell the vision and um, was I a little surprised maybe but uh, 
you know, I, I come in with a pretty strong belief that we can get something done. And, you know, I was real proud of our staff. And it's not just the guys on the road, man. The, the personnel office, the recruiting office, all, all of those uh, people that spent countless hours up here trying to pull off all of the visits that we had, um, all of them pitched in. It was definitely a, uh, an Auburn family effort. Um, Coach, you guys didn't pick up a quarterback in the portal uh, this first portal period. Is there a plan to go after a quarterback in the second post-spring portal period? And you recently made some comments about uh, the current group understanding what it means to be an SEC quarterback. Uh, can you explain you know, what you're looking for there? Yeah, let me take uh, question one first. Um, Will we take a, a quarterback in the second portal? Uh, I think I'll know a lot more after spring practice. Um, truthfully, when I watch the cutups that I've watched, um, man, I, it's hard. It's hard for me to adequately judge quarterbacks um, if they're not a, afforded the opportunity to stand in the pocket and, and make reads and, and make different throws for a, a decent percentage of time. And I, there's just the sample size for that is, is, is pretty small um, if they weren't under some type of duress or, um, or maybe it was more of a move the pocket scheme. Or, so I'm, I'm anxious to get into uh, to spring and kind of see how they handle that. And then I'll go from there with, the, uh, with what we do in the second portal window. We entertained a few quarterbacks in, the, uh, in my mind in the first portal window. But uh, never felt great about many. There were a couple that we did, but didn't uh, they didn't pan out for the right for whatever reason here at Auburn, and um, and I was okay with that. Honestly, I, I just I'm excited to work with the ones we have. Let's kick it on down to Arkansas, where Dan Enos, the new offensive coordinator, and Marcus Woodson, the new secondaries coach and co-defensive coordinator. They met with the media as well. And pretty fascinating little comparison here. Dan Enos compares K.J. Jefferson to Jalen Hurts. And obviously Jalen Hurts, it's, it's a big story right now with him on to the Super Bowl. But you got to remember, Enos coached Jalen Hurts at Alabama. So his word kind of carries weight when he's making these comparisons and what K.J. Jefferson could potentially do in this offense, let's kick it over to Dan Enos. From what you've seen of, of KJ on film, are there similarities to what you were working with with Talia at Maryland? Yeah, there, there actually is. You know, um, uh, KJ kind of reminds me of Jalen Hurts a little bit too. You know, there's I always, you know, I'm a big on trying to like, you know, find comparisons, if you will. One thing I will say is I've coached a lot of quarterbacks over the years. This will be my 32nd season coming up as a collegiate coach. and. Um, they're all different. They're, there's n there's not two the same, you know. And I tell this to the guys all the time. But there's there, but with the great ones that I've coached and been around, there's a lot of similar characteristics, if you will, things they have in common. And you know, KJ's a guy um, like Talia and like Jalen um, is a very good passer and is very athletic. You know, it's actually kind of exactly what you're looking for uh, if you really, really want to put defenses in a bind. Is have a guy that can beat you with his arm and his brain, but also can beat you with his legs. And I've been very, very impressed watching the film of KJ. I've obviously watched Arkansas on TV and things like that, just obviously being a fan of Coach Pittman and rooting for him. 
um, the last few years when we were able to watch. I got a chance to see him, but then now studying the tape and everything, it's been very impressive to look at his skill set. Now on the flip side, of course, we've got uh, what many fans have described as a train wreck on the defensive side of the ball. Marcus Woodson is here to fix particularly that secondary. That was the real issue with Arkansas defense all season long, even going back to the Cincinnati game. I remember several passes sailing on uh, the Cincinnati quarterback had he connected on. Cincinnati may have even won that ball game. So that's the task at hand. But uh, as Marcus Woodson puts it, you know, they, they had the number one pass defense at Florida State in the ACC last season. When he got there, it was a train wreck too. And they fixed that. Uh, he's The goal is to make Arkansas the top secondary in the country. And I love the fact Sam Pittman on the last episode talked up Marcus Woodson. What an elite recruiter he is. You get a sense of that here. He does not have to make pitches. It's not about the pitches you make to prospects. It's about being transparent, being who you are. And Marcus Woodson is regarded as one of the top secondary recruiters in the country. I think you'll get a little bit of an insight into why with this clip right here. Yeah, well, for me, I, I don't sell anything. You know, for us, it's about the people. You know, I feel like this is the best staff in the country. And with us, you get what you see, you know. So when it comes to being developed as a person, when it comes to being developed as a student athlete, I feel like we got the best staff in the country. And then as Coach Wilson just mentioned, I mean, it's Arkansas. When you look at the resources and the connections and the network that you can develop here at, at Arkansas, it can open up doors beyond football that's going to really benefit you in life. And, you know, for us, that's what it's all about, just being who we are. And, you know, this, this place, once you come and visit, it speaks for itself. That's going to be the key for us is getting guys on campus and letting them be around who we are. And when that's the case, you don't have to sell anything. You had Florida State's pass defense, number one in the ACC last year. A lot of that was development with guys that you had. A lot of criticism with Arkansas secondary over the years. Mm -hmm. How big of a development do you think you can come in here and help that secondary take that next step? Well, first off, uh, thank you for the welcome. Uh, Florida State was pretty bad when we first got there as well. And, you know, it took some work to get us to where we were at when I left. Uh, so I feel like that experience prepared me for this experience. Uh, looking at the film from last year, uh, the main thing I want us to focus on is being intentional, being intentional with technique, being intentional with the fundamentals, being intentional with what we're looking at and, and the footwork that goes with whatever the coverage may be. Uh, you know, the pieces are there. I feel like with the guys that we have on campus right now, we can win with and we're going to win with. Uh, and at the end of the day, in addition to being intentional, I want to be super competitive. That, that's the thing. I want us to compete every play in all aspects of what we do. And if we just clean up some of the fundamentals, the eye placement, the foot discipline, and, and being super competitive every play, that's going to fix a lot of the problems that was had. So I totally expect for us to go from being last to tops in the country with, with the improvement we're going to make. Again, hey, if you're an Arkansas fan, I don't know how you hear that and you don't get fired up for the direction of both the offense and defensive, but particularly the defensive side of the ball. 
And if uh, you can get KJ Jefferson to be the next Jalen Hurts, my God. I mean, Arkansas could be the summer of hype once again down there. And I I will also add this, just a little tidbit. I've been watching some of the, the prospects they got from the lower levels. I realize, you know, competition is not anything close to what they'll be seeing at the SEC level, but God, I mean, they, they look like they got some real players there. Once again, via the transfer portal at the receiver position. They did it last season. Let's see if they can do it again. Now, last one I wanted to hit on here. Let's kick it back to the east. Go to Kentucky, where on signing day, Kentucky landed a big flip here. One that uh, we had mentioned on Tuesday. Four-star defensive lineman Kendrick Gilbert flipped his commitment from Purdue to Kentucky. Six foot five, three hundred pound defensive lineman, top four hundred prospect in the country. Did not sign with Purdue, obviously, during the early signing period, despite remaining committed to uh, the new coaching staff. Not anymore. Now he's a Kentucky Wildcat. So Kentucky continues to recruit incredibly well on that defensive side of the ball. But what everybody's fired up on the bluegrass is, of course, Devin Leary and getting him the NC State transfer playing in Liam Cohen's system. Devin Leary talks about why Kentucky was the right school for him. Sounds like he really wanted to play for Liam Cohen and perhaps be the next Will Levis to have his draft stock just skyrocket. And what is it about that offense that he believes makes it so successful? Obviously, you knew Liam Cohen. There's a pretty good chance he'd be coming back. How much did you know about his offense and how much do you know about it now? Yeah, I mean, the the biggest thing for me was Coach Woody was recruiting me a ton. Um, and he's the receivers coach here. I actually, he recruited me back when I was in high school and he was at UMass. And you know, he's just told me previously he had a really good relationship with Liam uh, just over the years, knowing each other through college. And you know, when he started recruiting me, the first thing he started doing was just breaking down film, you know, giving me an idea of what could potentially happen. And like instantly it clicked in my mind that I knew I could operate in this offense. So, I mean, really that was the biggest priority for me was finding the right system and the right fit. And I mean, for him to, make it a priority of, look, we know what you could do on the film, what you've done at NC State, and we know you could translate right into this offense. So it was really just a no-brainer. Like you're digging in now, I guess, with him. What, just from you being an experienced quarterback, what about this kind of scheme do you think? What makes it so successful? Why would a, why would a quarterback kind of succeed in a scheme like this? Yes, sir. I think, you know, the biggest thing that stands out to me is, you know, how balanced it is. Um, you know, Coach Cohen does a great job of calling the offense and really designing it to where, You know, there's so many different ways we can attack defenses, you know, whether that's utilizing the tight end, receivers, getting in 12 personnel, running the football, using two backs. I mean, a lot of different ways to attack defenses. And I think, you know, just the biggest difference that I just need to dive into more uh, compared to the previous couple offenses that I was in is this one's a little bit more pro style, which I think, you know, you need to run to succeed in this league. Um, as well as to help me just in my development as well. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to just keep on you know, learning from Coach and just getting better and better. And uh, last little nugget, I just thought this was too good not to share. Ray Davis, former Vanderbilt running back, of course. Now he's a Kentucky Wildcat. He says he wants to go to a horse race now that he's at Kentucky. He didn't even know about <laughs> – he didn't even know they had a horse racing up there until he saw Will Levis' commercial. 
Um, and then coming to Lexington, I think Lexington has just been a place where I felt love. You know, people embraced me, embraced the culture of, you know, the football program here, the city of Lexington. Um, the goal is definitely to try to get to a, a horse race or, um, you know, just because I don't know nothing about that, to be honest with you. <laughs> Only way I found out is from Will Levis's commercial. That's, that's, that's about the most I know. But um, I, I, I love it, man. I, I love it a lot. And, you know, I can't wait to again to explore more and more each and every day. <laughs> All right, so that was for you, Ollie. I hope you appreciated uh, that little clip there. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. I've got a couple guests lined up for next week. Should be uh, one heck of a time. Uh, I'm actually going on vacation. So, Nick Saban, if you're going to retire, please do not do it next week because I'm going to be out. But while I'm out, I'll be working hard before I leave to get you guys some content. Don't want to leave you guys hanging. We're going to have some unique guests in in-person, in-studio interview. So that should be fun. And then uh, one of my buddies from NFL is going to come on and, and talk the NFL draft preview the Super Bowl so a little something different on next week's shows but uh, be on the lookout for those and I do appreciate each and every one of you for continuing to hang out all all season long as long as there's something to talk about we're going to keep putting out shows and also exciting news for people tired of just hearing me spiel cousin Shane will be back when I get back on vacation. So just another thing to look forward to. That's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.